Welcome to the Animation for Adults podcast. My name is Evan Vernon, here with another addition to our interview special. If you read our news feed, you've probably heard of Netflix's new stop-motion film, The House. Produced by Nexus Studios, The House is an anthology broken into three chapters, each following different characters as they inhabit the same mystical house across time. Different stories unfold throughout the film, each as wondrous as the next and all directed by some of the most prominent names in stop motion. Mark Rolls and Emma DeSwaif direct Chapter 1, Nikki Lindroff von Barr directs Chapter 2, and Paloma Beza directs Chapter 3. Emma couldn't join us today, but Mark, Nikki, and Paloma are all with us now and have kindly agreed to discuss their work on the film. Mark will start today's interview. For those who haven't heard of Mark and Emma, the duo have collaborated for several years now and have many credits to their name. Their celebrated short, Oh Willie, has won over 80 awards since its 2012 debut, and their 2018 feature film, This Magnificent Cake, has been acquired by G-Kids, Criterion, and other boutique distributors. Now, Mark and Emma have progressed to Netflix. Their chapter of the house follows Raymond, a bankrupt 19th century landowner desperate to regain his former wealth and status. When a strange architect offers Raymond a house, he accepts the gift without question. All seems well at first, but as Raymond and his loved ones settle in, they realize that something is amiss in their new home. Something supernatural. What will happen to this ill-fated family? You'll have to watch and find out. We won't give spoilers, but today Mark has kindly agreed to discuss the film and chat a bit about his work with Emma. Mark, thanks for coming. To kick things off, tell us how you got started. What inspired you to become an animator? I studied animation. I studied 2D animation um, back in the days of uh, shooting on, on a Bolex. Um, and I think I, I kind of, uh, when, I'd, when I'd finished my studies, I wasn't quite sure if it was kind of the thing for me. So I sort of transitioned into live action and I started making short films and commercials and I kind of just learning the ropes. Um, I hadn't been to sort of live action film school, but uh, a lot of my friends had so we just um, I, I kind of got into that scene um, when I met Emma she was actually studying documentary filmmaking and um, she was kind of starting her studies but she had she'd always had an interest in, in kind of puppet making and doll making um, from like a really early age when she was like a little kid she was always making puppets and that and uh, she wanted to start integrating that sort of puppets into her documentary films because at the time there was kind of like a sort of a trend of, of, of making animated documentaries um, so we were kind of like in in that sort of whole flow um, and I mentioned to her that I having studied animation I could probably help her out um, but if a working with puppets and that was was completely new to me because I only knew kind of the rudimentaries of 2D animation so we basically kind of started from scratch like just trying to figure it out like uh, we, we didn't have a photo camera or anything we just had like a video camera that that we borrowed from from someone and uh, when we started when we wanted to shoot a frame we would like push start and stop on the camera very quickly and and then in our editing program, just kind of find a frame and, and kind of start putting them together. And it was like this very laborious process. And our first films were very rough. And but we we liked it, and we just kept going from there. Just with each film, just refining the process, um, buying a digital camera, learning the software, kind of just figuring it out like that. But coming Emma from from documentary and me from live action. We brought all that with us. So we approached each film, not so much as an animation film, but as a live action film that we were making with mm. puppets and that. So we kind of brought those sensibilities into, into each film that we made. And I think that's kind of given our films a kind of a particular look or feel. Yeah, no, that's a really keen observation. It reminds me of um, a comment uh, that I think the two of you had made in a prior interview where you said that 
I mean, stop motion itself is kind of a marriage of live action and animation, just like by design. But you also talk about your cinematography, the your use of natural light, how there only tends to be kind of one source of light in films mm -hmm. like um, Some Magnifique Gateau, This Magnificent Cake. Um, so thank you so much for sharing, Mark. That's really fascinating how you and Emma kind of complement each other, you know, as partners. Both of you bring something original to the table. And um, the end product is, is simply stunning. Um, you know, there aren't films out there that look quite like yours, which kind of leads into my next question. Can, can you tell us anything about the inspiration behind your puppet design? The, the plump kind of small-eyed look of your characters is kind of become your signature, if, if I can mm -hmm. say that. And um, it's unlike anything out there. So what inspired that? I don't think anything uh, in particular, we can't point to a, um, a sculptor or a, or a painter or a, artists or or anything in particular it it all comes it all goes back to kind of emma emma's sort of style uh and and the way that she she kind of makes things uh she kind of we always kind of had this the sort of the running joke that she's kind of like our, our in-house outsider artist she's she's yeah. had like no kind of education with with art or anything like that so what she makes is just kind of very instinctive. I mean, obviously there must be kind of touchstones, um, uh, but we were kind of, we've always been hard pressed to kind of figure out where this kind of look comes from. We both read like Tintin a lot as kids, so maybe yeah. there's something there with the eyes and the face. But um, it, I think Emma just kind of evolved her own style like really naturally. And when she, she kind of, when we were making a film, she would sculpt the heads and sculpt the faces and, and they would kind of turn out and end up looking like this because our process that you can't actually sort of, um, uh, you, you kind of, you, you can't be too specific when you're making it. it. It just kind of ends up being what it is. Like you, sure. you start sculpting and then you start putting layers on top of layers and you're never quite, you're never sure like how it's going to look. Like, uh, so you can't really plan too, too far ahead. You'll just sort of, we just sort of say, well, start making it. If it looks good, we'll use it. If it doesn't, we'll then start again. And uh, so we end up kind of with these the characters that look that way. Yeah, you do what comes naturally to you. Um, I've asked um, the same question to other artists before, and um, more often than not, the answer is the same. You know, I mean, the best work is, is that which kind of comes organically. You know, there's something... Mm -hmm really beautiful about that um so thank you so much for for sharing mark i really appreciate it um i know we're um a, a little um short on time today so i want to go ahead and um talk about this film that's dropping in a few days the house um very exciting to see you working with um other um very accomplished auteurs like uh nikki and paloma tell us a bit about uh where this began um how were you approached for this project it all came from from Nexus, our, our, the production company in the UK that in London that, that uh, reps us for commercials. Um, and I think they'd been thinking of sort of getting into sort of more like narrative content for a while, mm. uh, thinking, trying to come come up with ways to do that. Um, at, at least that's kind of how how we think, like the, what what the strategy. Sure strategy was but yeah. um they sort of just basically kind of emailed us out of the blue and said look we've um we we want we have kind of you guys and we think that you guys could kind of do something together we don't know what it is we have no idea um but let's just get together in a room and we'll start talking and we'll kind of see where it goes so we just em and i went to london we met up with nikki and paloma there and we sat in um, the, our producer's um, dining room and we just kind of said, well, what do you want to do? And, and we just kind of like ping ponged until we came up with this idea of like, maybe we could all do something kind of within this singular setting, within this kind of arena where stuff happens. Um, and we, we sort of said, okay, we'll give that a go. And we just kind of went and we sort of jotted stuff down. Um, and from there, we just, just kind of kept on building from there and then we'd, yeah. we'd, we'd go we, we we thought okay we're gonna go pitch this now let's go try netflix and see what they think um fully sort of expecting like uh maybe like yeah it's not bad guys we'll come back later or something like that but i think the pitch went, went like so well it was just we were just kind of all feeling it and uh we just kind of landed it straight away so yeah i i meant to ask mark about 
your collaboration with um, uh, Paloma and uh, Nikki. So the house is an anthology. Each episode kind of stands on its own, but they're still connected. They're still kind of a part of the same metaverse. Um, did you consult each other consistently throughout production or was your Merck work um, more or less kind of independent? It was more or less independent. I mean, we, we were, we did have one writer kind of writing, uh, doing this, this, the, the screenplays for each story. Um, so obviously there's a, there's a, there was a connection there, but we were also kind of quite free to sort of like change that up and, and sort of mold it to, to ha like our own kind of particular way of, of making films because, um, and I'd never written for a stop motion film before. So there was, um, there are kind of things like a, a few do's and don'ts that, that that are kind of involved where we have to say, well, we can't actually do that great big thing because stop motion just doesn't, it just isn't suited to that. So we have to kind of figure out some other way of, of telling that aspect of the story or whatever. So, but Ender was there as kind of this sort of overarching kind of um, writer who could kind of bring them together. But we were always very clear that like each story should be able to stand on its own kind of more or less. I mean, I think with us in particular, we, 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 do, we do feel that we, we need the other stories because we, we purposely left our, our story kind of a bit kind of open-ended at the end, just to, just to not have this kind of close off. I think we were thinking um, if this were to be our own sort of standalone film, um, the the closure would would maybe be a little different. Maybe we'd kind of really put some sort of finality there, but we didn't actually want that. We wanted it to kind of not be too on the nose, but we did, we did want it to kind of flow into the next film to to a degree. So, and but yeah. those kind of things, those kind of uh, ideas were were never kind of set in stone. I mean, we were always in contact with Nikki and Palomas. So we were fully aware of what they were doing. But we didn't want to kind of impinge on, on each other's styles or or stories sure. in any way. And we just kind of we were just super excited to see what Nikki and Paloma were, were gonna do. And I think likewise, like they would say the same. Um, so we were just very excited by like not being too kind of like um, focused on trying to get all three films kind of like working together. Uh, we just want to see what they would do if we just kind of put them there and see what happened. And uh, yeah. we were actually quite surprised by the amount of connections that we'd never really thought of, but that suddenly popped up. Yeah, it sounds like a very healthy relationship, you know? I mean, you put great, great directors together and um, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to kind of reconcile different creative processes and uh, inspirations because the fact is that, you know, uh, you and Emma have already established yourselves as very strong voices in the stop motion scene, in the animation scene, um, just generally. And the same, of course, can be said about Nikki and Paloma. So the fact that you were able to share insights, but also give each other space to breathe um, is very refreshing. Um, so thank you, Mark. I know we um, just have a few, a few minutes um, to spare here. So I did want to spend um, a bit of time talking about your episode um, of The House. So it's uh it's it's a bit bleak. We can't give away any spoilers, but um it, it tends to focus very heavily, if I might say so, um, on the the relationship between um Raymond the father and uh, his wife and well really just the whole family in the house is kind of like an entity, or maybe even a representation um, of something outside of itself. Um, can you speak to that just just a little bit? What 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 kind of inspired this story? Obviously, we always kind of we're, we're writing about stuff that we're kind of um, going through ourselves. And yeah, not that we I've met like a strange man on one of my drunken rambles. Uh, right. But, uh, um, I don't know. We, we just kind of with 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 friends and 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 kind of acquaintances and family and that we at our at our age now we're like there's a lot of kind of fixation on like houses and 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 all that and like buying a house and renovating the house and i think nikki and paloma kind of also sort of are in that kind of thing they're, they're kind of dealing with house stuff so and i mean we we would go to kind of ha like a part like sort of go and see friends and that and more often than not, the entire time was just spent talking about houses and 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 renovating houses. And so you thought, like we we kind of thought, like everyone's obsessed. Like uh, 
if they're not talking about their kids, they're talking about their houses. Um, so we, we were sort of always thinking like that's it's an interesting thing to kind of work with this sort of obsession with, with, with the house and, and how that kind of almost kind of starts to overtake your personality, like where you, this house starts to define you somehow and, and kind of dominates them. And you kind of take yeah. that to an extreme degree, like we, we were kind of working within these kind of gothic tropes where houses do become these, these entities that sort of start to kind of uh, feed off of the people living inside them. Um, yeah. And we, we'd seen like friends who, who'd kind of were, were kind of breaking up because of because of house issues because the renovations were were very stressful or whatever. So we always kind of thought that's it's always strange that like just these four walls can kind of suck the life out of, of out of people. Yes. Um, and that sort of vampiric nature of it like sort of spoke to the this kind of gothic sort of thing that we were kind of like interested in. So that all sort of came together and, and informed the story that we were telling. Very well said, Mark. You know, it's fascinating that um, you, 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 you say that, you know, I mean, like for those listening in, um, once you've had a chance to see the film, you'll probably get that sense, too, that the house almost seems to represent this um, this decadence, this greed that consumes um, Raymond and his wife and ultimately becomes their undoing. I won't give too much away. And you can ki kind of see that same theme, um, I guess, in, in your other work, at least like in, in this magnificent cake, you know, I mean, both are um, kind of have this colonial setting and deal with themes of greed, I guess, yeah. and exploitation in one way or another. This magnificent cake is, is more about colonialism, of course. This story is a bit different, but the overlap is there. Um, I'm not sure if you agree with that, Mark, but um, it is interesting to kind of see that a bit. Yeah. Well, I think all our characters, I mean, we, we, we constantly see kind of like see overlap in, in the characters from one film to the other where characters sort of start making decisions that kind of lead them into some sort of wilderness where they kind of end up being completely lost. And I think between this magnificent cake and, and um, the house now, we it's it's the same sort of thing. I mean, with, with the this magnificent cake, we didn't want to really comment so much on colonialism, more about like sort of the decisions that these, that these um, these characters make and the consequences yeah. of those decisions um and with the house now and that's like sort of also another gothic trope also in film noir you see like that your the character makes the fateful decision that kind of ripples through and has consequences you you almost immediately know that as soon as they've made this decision uh it's kind of the clock's ticking like um uh, sooner or later it's all going to kind of fall flat and you're just kind of watching this kind of slow crumbling um and and that's kind of something that that we sort of we don't we're not conscious of when we're when we're coming up with these with stories and writing and that but uh, it's something that we sort of notice like a lot of our characters make very bad decisions and, and end up yeah. regretting them <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's kind of a tragedy to your stories, yeah. but um, there's a lot to be learned from them, you know, um, and you've, you've, I think, described those, those underlying messages very well, Mark. So I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much um, for sharing your talents with us. All the best to you in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. We're going to shift gears now and talk with our other directors, Nikki and Paloma. Nikki is a Swedish artist based in Stockholm, where she earned her master's from the Royal Institute of Art in 2016. Nikki's critically acclaimed films have toured numerous festivals, including TIFF, Cannes, Berlinale, and Sundance, just to name a few. Nikki's 2017 short, Minborda, has 82 awards to its name, including Annecy's coveted crystal for best short film. Nikki's chapter of the house follows an unnamed rat, known only as the developer, as he tries to sell the home to a buyer. His only problem? There's a roach infestation, and it gets worse with each passing day. The developer tries to kill the roaches, but whenever one dies, dozens more emerge from the walls. The fight is endless, and as the developer grows more desperate, his struggle morphs from what was once a small inconvenience into a dark, Sisyphean nightmare. Nikki is known for her existential themes, and this story is no exception. Watch and enjoy, but be prepared. Last but not least, we have Paloma's chapter. For those who haven't heard of Paloma, she is a British director of English and Mexican heritage. 
Paloma entered Hollywood as an actress before deciding to double as a director. Paloma studied animation at Britain's National Film and Television School, where she created her BAFTA-winning short, Pulls Apart. Paloma's chapter ends the film and follows Rosa, a feline landlady who tends the house years after Raymond and the developer. By now, the house is in a state of total disrepair, driving nearly all the tenants from its rooms, all but two of Rosa's friends. Determined to save the house, Rosa works round the clock on futile renovations, growing increasingly hostile as she alienates herself from her friends. With time and guidance, Rosa will eventually realize what matters most in life. Paloma's chapter is a touching one, and we're eager to discuss it. Paloma, I'd like to start with you, if you please. It's not every day we meet someone who's both an actor and a director. So tell us a bit about that. What inspired you to pursue animation? So it's a it's a funny one. It's quite an interesting journey, I suppose. But but I see it as um, I did. I started out as an actress um, when I was quite young and did tons of period dramas and so on. And um, and then, but I always had a, a keen interest in directing and working behind the camera. So I, while I was still acting, I did some short, I directed some short films with sort of fellow actor friends and I'd sort of, um, uh, and then I think it just slowly evolved that way. Um, and then I also had alongside that, this, this keen interest in animation and I suppose making things myself. So, at a certain point, I guess I just hit a certain point in my life where I thought, if I don't try this, I might never know if this is the right place for me. So it turned out that I, so I went back to film school and I studied animation, which was uh, slightly strange, having come from a sort of live action um, background, but but also then learned that everything that I'd done up to that point, so the acting and the sort of, and the live action stuff meant that, um, I could do lots of things myself so I could voice the little puppets that I made or um, uh, I said it, I think I was in my comfort zone with narratives because I came from a narrative background so I just see I just see it as is it's an evolution of storytelling you know that's all storytelling even acting is storytelling so um, animation just seems to fit me right now because it's a space in which I can tell the kind of stories I want to tell. I think tonally it probably suits me quite well, where I can be a bit more playful and magical and creative. And, and I love all the tactile qualities that stop motion give you. So yeah, it's a funny old journey, but it seems to make sense somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love what you said a moment ago that um, um, acting is storytelling. You could almost argue, I guess, that um, animation is acting. You know, I mean, if you're manipulating the characters, then you, by extension, are also kind of an actor, aren't you? One hundred percent. I'm sure Nikki will agree. It's um, you're creating the actor. You know, you're creating the, the full actor, but the, it feeds in that puppet is your actor. But it requires an animator. I mean, actually the animators are the closest to the actors in, in, in a sense, that's how I felt about them. It, it's yeah. sort of like you're, you've got your, your voice actors that you're, you're, you're interacting with in a much more sort of conventional way, which is about performance. Yeah. But, then, but then all the physical stuff and, and beyond, you're really working closely with animators. So I'm really keen on doing um, live action references so you film yourself the animator will film themselves we'd really analyze our movements and go what's most naturalistic because you're trying to well I'm I always trying to get something which is which is that it has a naturalism to it a believability to it despite the fact yeah. you're talking about talking cats it's not believable at all but sure. that, that you that you can sort of that you feel safe in the movement and and it feels um relatable so yeah, that, that's, it's very much created about, you know, it's, that, that acting background does, I apply it every, on every job, I think. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, sharing, Paloma. Very well said. Um, <laughs> Nikki, you've been patiently waiting. I, I think it goes without saying that your reputation as well as Paloma's really kind of precedes you in the animation space. But um, for those who don't know, um, give us the cliff notes. Uh, um, what, what inspired you to, to go into animation? Well, I think uh, I'm coming a bit from a from a different direction, but like I, I guess 
all of us <laughs> do in a way. But I think my way into animation was um, I actually started, well, I actually started like as a prop maker. Uh, I, I, um, I educated myself to be a prop maker and a set designer uh, many years ago because I, I well, I have, I come from a sort of artistic background. My parents are artists and, and everything. So I, I really wanted to work with something creative, but I felt that I needed much more, uh, I mean, I needed more like deadlines and framings and, and you know, uh, instead of just being all, um, uh, all, uh, all, all, you know, too free, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, I, uh, well, I started working with prop making as in just building stuff for or manufacturing stuff for for film and, and theater, and uh, that's when I I mean I I just have a huge love and interest in materials and also like in this tactile um, this tactile way of working and and uh, and that also like when I first made my. Uh, well, when I made my first animated film, that that was actually like just I wanted to combine the interest. I have like a huge interest in film or like in storytelling in general as well, uh, which I always which I always had, and maybe a tiny bit more actually than in actual animation. You know, I I do love the just the film media in general, and and uh, stop motion animation was a way for me to create my own sort of universe I could create my own characters and my own sets and and uh, environments and then also be able to tell a story uh, so I think uh, stop motion animation became my sort of way to yeah to combine these two interests um, so I think that's where I come from um, and yeah yeah that's 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 interesting um, Nikki it sounds like stop motion in particular gave you a little more creative freedom when it when it mm. came to storytelling um, and if there are any stop motion anima animators um, listening in you might agree with Nikki um, so thank you so much um, for, for that insight um, we want to talk about the house but I, I kind of like to pose a question to both of you um, because I think this is key to understanding your storytelling both of you use anthropomorphic um, animals instead of humans more often than not in your stories. Um, well, why is that? And um, um, Paloma, maybe we can bounce back to you. I think there's two reasons why I, I tend to use animals rather than humans. For stop motion, I think I just haven't come up with, um, a, I think it's much harder to do humans in stop motion, basically. I think the mm. design wise, I think it's much harder. And that's where Mark and Emma really come into there and they do something so unique and fantastic. But um, but I find it much easier to, to, to create animals. And then I think, um, it's sort of, I think, I think you can get, you can get more charming animals easier than you can get charming humans. I think with, it's, it's a design thing. It's, it's a personal thing. Not that I don't think, I think they exist. I think it's just very hard to do. And maybe one day I'd like to try. Um, but then once you get into the animal anthropomorphic world, it then offers you something extra that you don't get with humans, actually, where you can you can tell quite a universal story via the creature and it, you can apply it. It's like when someone's reading a novel, you know, you're applying your your own experience to the character in the book because you can imagine so many things. And I think you can. Uh, I think an animal performing or a character performing something somehow has a universality to it where the human can sort of apply their own experience to it, despite the fact it is a talking animal. Um, it, it, there's something sort of fable-like about it or there's something that's quite um, applicable in different circumstances because it's slightly other. So it gives you it gives you a way of storytelling or or maybe getting a message across or um, or a particular uh, feeling that you're trying to say about humans, but it's it's more universal, it's more accessible. It's a sort of slightly. I think that's why anthropomorphism is so popular. You know, interesting. So it's easier to kind of project your own experiences exactly. on an animal. That's yeah. That's what I should have said. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's what you did just say, and really poetically. Thank you so much, Paloma. That's that's interesting. Um, 
Very interesting. And Nikki, I, I'm, you, you might have similar insights to share, but I, I'd like to turn the mic to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it feels a bit boring, but it, it was very much like copy paste Paloma <laughs> all over. But, but I think, uh, I mean, um, I, I definitely agree with Paloma that uh, uh, I, I always have always had a bit of a trouble to, to just kind of uh, find a way to to portray humans as puppets and I think I, I definitely I mean Mark and Emma has just been my like really uh, you know uh, the the only persons that I feel really um, can, can really do that because I, I, I feel that they also ha- has found like uh, the, in the same way that that we also I mean that we also um, uh, uh, want to stay a bit more sort of universal in the looks uh, uh, instead of like becoming too deep or like going too deep in, in this ident- identification yeah. situation. I think Mark and Emma's puppets has been so like, they also, they're just like, yeah, they're simplified in such a genius way. So, so you don't, you, they don't bug you. You don't, you don't, you don't fall into that kind of um, uh, what's it called? Um, the uncanny valley uncanny valley exactly yes. <laughs> that uncanny valley situation so so but but i mean i i also find i think since i since i usually work with quite dark stories and dark themes uh within my my stories i think that animals are like one way of inviting the audience uh, into something that might appear a bit more sort of silly or or um almost like a like you maybe you you tend to think about like children's culture or some yeah something that's a bit more light and then all of a sudden it's uh, um you know uh, a story about mental illness or or uh, <laughs> you know um some kind of just a, a dystopian uh thing so so i mean like it's a i think it's it's a way for me to yeah to just invite the audience into something much darker than they expected and and, and keep them a bit unsettled because of that but and i and i think also like yeah just just uh, to skip the identification part and just uh, uh like my characters i'm not like i'm not so interested in in the characters to be honest my I, i'm i'm much more interested in the situation that the character is uh put within you know like the 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 surrounding or or the uh the atmosphere and i think uh, uh using like a an animal uh, appearance uh, makes that yeah it makes it easier for you to just jump into that situation yourself yeah. uh, and also just like simply because we, we we all are just animals and sometimes you really do feel like a, a slug wearing a tuxedo you know like just uh, forcing yourself into this sort of stupid human uh, accessories or how is it <laughs> but we are just like we are just animals all of us this is a personal comment, uh, Nikki, but um, I remember watching um, Mean Borda um, a couple years ago at a rather difficult mm. time in my life and feeling so taken mm. aback because I remember looking at uh, the singing fish and uh, monkeys and rats on the screen and um, identifying with them so strongly and um, just kind of being taken aback. Like, why do I identify? Why do I identify so strongly with these singing animals? Um, and I think yeah. that everything that you've said and that um, Paloma said um, answers that for those who um, have seen your films, I'm sure they feel the same. So thank you so now much. Now you know why you identify yourself as a fish with bad skin. Or... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the mystery is solved. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> I um, want to go ahead and talk about um, the house. Mark's given us um, a little bit of background on how the project it itself started. Um, so I'd like to go ahead and skip that and um, focus. Um, specifically on um, your chapters. Um, Paloma, if we could um, start with you, maybe um, tell us a little bit about Rosa's story. Um, Where did the idea for that come from? Well, the overall idea, uh, you know, we had to come up with, you know, what, what, who would be in this house and what, and, and I ended up thinking, well, where, where would this house be? Um, and I was watching a, I was watching a David Attenborough documentary about climate change and it was a, an aerial shot of, I think it probably was the Midwest floods. So you had a kind of road running through uh, like an ocean, really. It looked like an ocean, but where all the, the, the towns and villages had been submerged. 
and you just had this single road and it was such a powerful image of humanity in a state of you know respectability and structures being completely decimated by nature and sort of um how powerful that was and it just I just said well that's 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 just it the house needs to be the last remaining house in a flood (laughs) you know so that that just said something about the situation and then and then it evolved really quite organically uh who would be in the house in the last remaining house who who is going to stay in that situation and rosa who is the protagonist is this landlady who has turned the house into apartments or is trying to turn the house into apartments they're very sort of shoddy um, in order to restore the house because she's hanging on to a vision of the past and she can't move on the really what she should be is leaving and she just can't bear to leave because she's so attached to the house and its meaning um and you know talking about universal messages I think you can apply that to not only our situation with needing to make desperate changes in terms of our climate change situation but I think just generally in life humans find change difficult and um and letting go difficult in relationships and all sorts of things so I think by happy coincidence it evolved into the kind of story I like telling which has has those elements, but hopefully one feels they're not being shoved down your throat. They're just sort of existing and coming out of the situation. Yeah, so she's she's in a, she's very obviously in a situation that she needs to change and just can't see it. She's blind to it. Yeah. It, it's interesting to see how um, the house assumes different roles and representations throughout these different chapters. Um, we, we were speaking to Mark earlier, and in his case, it had a lot to do with ideas of desire and greed. And in your case, it sounds like there's this sort of um, ecolo- ecological message almost mm. that kind of underpins your story. Is, is that what you're, um, you're kind of hinting at, Paloma? There is definitely an ecological message, yes. But I think I think the nice thing is that, that there's a there's a very power. I mean, you you can't get away from it. It's there. We've seen floods all the time. It's kind of in your face slightly, but yeah. but at the same time, you can apply her situation to things outside of that. So, you, the, to personal relationships, I think too. So she can't. She's so she's so blind in terms of her and trapped in her own obsession that she can't actually relate to other people. She can't relate to the other cats in the story uh, who are right there again in front of her. And actually that's, that's the more important thing uh, rather than the bricks and mortar that she's focused on. Yeah. 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 Relationships are important. And um, uh, I, I hate to choose favorite characters, but I feel like uh, Cosmos, the kind of spiritual guy, that intervening character who comes in, <laughs> Um, can, conveys that quite well, doesn't he? He's very much about relating to each other. Exactly, exactly, which is is crucial. Actually, if we want to make any big, broad changes, that's where it begins anyway. You know, it's about relating each other and society and community and understanding each other's uh, futures and needs and 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 problems. So, yeah. Well said, Paloma. I just realized I've reversed the order a bit because your chapter actually yeah. ends the story. But I, I, I will say, um, you know, all of them are beautiful in their own way. That the, the kind of release, the hope and catharsis you feel at the end of yours was very refreshing. So I, I do just want to compliment you on that. Um, <laughs> before we um, <laughs> segue here, um, Nikki, your 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 story, um, chapter two is is a bit darker um but there's a lot to be learned from it can you tell us a bit about the developer um in his story where did that come from yeah well i mean i really wanted to kind of use this theme of like our sort of very contemporary like overheated real estate markets uh <laughs> that's just going on everywhere in the world today uh, and just use that as a sort of backdrop to this uh um like strange uh, claustrophobic um, thriller uh, thing that I made, um, and I mean the developer, our main character, he 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 just bought this old sort of worn down house uh, and uh, uh, for less money than he expects to sell it for later on. So he's sort of trying to uh, renovate it into like a very sort of um, 
MTV Cribs style, uh, like rich, soulless kind of <laughs> um, place. And and um, I mean, like he, this this person is is meant to be just you and me, basically. He he's like mm-hmm. he he wants to he wants to sort of climb the ladder of you know wealth and success, you know, and and but he's. Uh, He's struggling and he's quite desperate. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, as time goes in the story, it turns out that he's also like under the influence of a quite sort of uncontrollable situation because nothing goes as planned. Like the yeah. he, already in the beginning, uh, the bank is um, calling him constantly. He, he like he has financial problems. He's he's been forced to to fire all his. Um, you know, assistance, and he's uh, forced to just do the final renovation himself. And uh, the the big house viewing day is approaching, and he also like finds out that this entire house is also like home uh, to millions of insects at the same time. So he needs to, you know, make it uh, make it flawless and also like exterminate uh, a, a huge family of insects uh, at the same time. Um, so this uh, this sort of, I mean, this sort of uh, downfall <laughs> that he's experiencing through this, um, uh, I mean, like like both sort of inner and outer madness that that is experiencing. It's it's it it could like my idea is that, that it just could be anyone just being being in this uh, uh, crazy situation. And but it also says something to me about you know, just like uh, our struggles as humans, you know, and, and uh, um, we, we, we desperately try to sort of fit in and, um, and um, we try to reach this sort of, yeah, we, we try to climb, climb up to better, you know, financial situations and, and uh, do this class climbing and, and uh, reach out for better lives for ourselves. And, uh, but finally, maybe it's all about, um, um maybe it's all about going back to to our sort of animal instinct instead which which is kind of the case in in this uh, <laughs> this film as well that that uh, him sort of almost like regressing into the animal that is actually that he actually is in the end is is uh, sort of both is it's it's kind of a blessing uh, as well as a catastrophe <laughs> i'd say very interesting, Nikki. Um, it, it, it's fascinating, and I think that you're hinting at this um, because um, you, you, you keep, keep talking about kind of the universality um, of your chapter's message. Very few of your characters have names. Um, is, is that intentional? Or are you kind of um, yeah, going... Yeah. Go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. Well, it is kind of intentional. I, 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 do, I do feel that I... I don't know why. It, it kind of like... It's always bugged me with names <laughs> it's just something that that i feel very sort of like when it's when it's like a, a, a song title with a name i i i get all frustrated i don't know why but but it's uh it feels like it's all of a sudden it's not about you anymore like that that is sort of uh, um it's 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 blocking out like i i feel sort of blocked out from a story being told or like uh, l- relating to something maybe i'm just too uh, <laughs> i don't know Maybe I just just have don't have the ability to 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 sort of uh, find myself my, myself in someone else's situation. But but it's but I just uh, I I just think that choosing to not like name the developer, for example, it's 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 um it's very intentional to to not really um yeah that, that to, to not really make him like a um you know that this is some someone else. This is uh, this is not us you know this like with his better or worse sides you know this is uh you know this could literally be anyone that's my sort of intention i know that we're um getting pretty close on time and i want to respect yours because i know that both of you are very busy um so i've got just two more questions um if that's okay (laughs) um uh nikki i'll 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 begin with you on this and paloma if you'd like to chime in um i i'd I'd appreciate your insight too music is core to a lot of film and uh, Nikki, in your case, um, you know, you, you see films like, I mean, Borda, you see um, your chapter in the house and both mm. of them have these kind of uh, song and dance numbers. 
Could you tell us a bit um, about that? How do you view the importance of music in your filmmaking? Well, I think music to me is, is very important, both uh, as well. I, I, well, I mean, I work, I, I work quite consciously with like either working with music or completely without music. I think it's quite um, it's it's very important to me to not sort of use music as just a general kind of mood um, uh, that 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 like there's just you know, background music sort of subtly telling us what to feel or what to think. Uh, so I, I really I really love to keep my audience a bit like unsettled. So like if sure. there's if, if there's like a, a, a certain situation, uh, but without music, it's much more about like, you know, is this fun? Is this uh, scary? You know, like that, that you don't really know. And I, and I, and I really like that sort of... Um, uncertainty um but then like when 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 i choose to actually work with music i really go all in because music is obviously such a, a powerful tool to use and especially when you when you're using it like in a sort of contradictory way that that something could be quite in this film for example without going into details i mean something could be quite gross and uh, um absurd but also like uh, very sort of cheerful and uh, <laughs> like yes. Busby Berkeley style. Uh, I think it's 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 fun to work with music that is kind of less expected uh, in in the situation that you're that you're uh, uh, well the visual situation that you're showing. You know, I, I never thought of it that way, but um, it makes sense now that you say your music is incredibly dissonant um in 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 this chapter um like if we're just like talking about the house the music comes at a time where the developer is experiencing this emotional low mm. but what we hear is extremely upbeat and that kind of throws exactly. us off a bit right yeah yeah um it's the same reason we're afraid of clowns right i'm not a psychologist but like ambiguity really throws us off and maybe yeah, that's yeah. kind of the charm to your work yeah yeah the viewer isn't quite comfortable with it and that's a good thing <laughs> thank you <laughs> um paloma i don't know if you um can tell us much about uh your relationship with the different um sound designers and songwriters you've worked with because oh um, yeah i mean and it's really interesting with with nikki and i because there's a slight you know what's been so great about this project is being so close to other filmmakers and seeing their process, you know, it's yeah. so lovely to have that experience. Um, and we're, we're really good friends now and yet we're very different types of filmmakers, all three of us, yes. in, in a, mm. you know, and, um, and I think I was, I was listening to Nikki thinking that that thing of being quite sparse and not, not wanting the audience to quite know what to feel maybe I lean slightly the other way you know I mean I think there's a balance because I think I can watch films it's just even last night I was watching something thinking oh this music's awful because it's telling me too much it's like it's like too sentimental or so so there's I'm I'm very aware of what the music is doing and if it doesn't need music I don't want any there mm. but I also really love the power of when you've got something that's really beautiful you can have you can have cut the scene and think no it doesn't need anything and then you can try it with a piece that absolutely fits it um it can elevate it to a place where you f you feel moved for example or like i remember in a, you know my short film when the composer wrote something and she said i'd like to try and sing something and i was thinking oh i don't know about that but then she was she sang so beautifully that she thought oh my god it's completely perfect you know and yeah. What we have on, on the, we're so lucky because our composer is Gustavo Santolaya, who is just a complete, um, I, I just, it's a privilege to be able to work with him. Yes. Um, he's so huge fan. He's completely incredible. And when he, when he sent through, his, he, the way he works is he, he does sort of sketches of, of different songs or melodies that he might like. Um, that he think might apply to each chapter. He just sent a whole load of stuff through for us to listen to. And mm. there was this tune, which was, I mean, it really did give you goosebumps as, as soon as you heard it um, and felt so right. So uh, for me on this film, I've just felt that that's continued and he felt like such a, a good fit because I think he, 
you know, I've got a lot of spiritualism in my film and um, and he he has an, an element of that um, that he identifies with and they're quite organic instruments that he uses. So it sort of felt like, um, I felt very lucky to, it felt like a very good fit. Um, so yeah, it was fantastic working with him. I mean, it was it was just uh, like the way he was able to to um, adjust to all of our very different stories and just make them. I mean, to connect them uh, because it's it's obviously like the same. You do feel that it's the same composer, but it's still like the styles are so. Yeah, they just fit so incredibly well with all our three stories. It's um, yeah, it's magical, really. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing Paloma and and thank you both for, um, you know, crediting the other creatives that you've collaborated with um, other than just Mark and Emma, you know, I mean, it's easy kind of from the outside looking in to watch a film um, and give all the credit to the director. Um, But every time we get on um, with the actual director for any given series or feature, um, I'm always amazed by their humility, you know, time and again, um, they'll say this is a team effort, you know, Um, this is the product of many different creative minds coming together. So I just want to compliment you both for acknowledging. um, But that's completely, uh, I feel that's completely basic and true. That's Yeah, it is. If anyone's not doing that, then that's, that's just wrong, frankly, because it doesn't exist without. Well said. Thank you, Paloma. Thank you, Nikki. I've got just one question um, left for the both of you. The uh, movie's dropping in just a couple days. Um, what is the number one reason why people should watch the house? Number one reason, Nikki. What's the number one the reason? Number one reason. No, but I mean, it, come on. It's completely unique. Like, I, I, yeah. I've never seen something like this. And, and I mean, like, the, 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 it, it's like those three, I mean, so much effort that's been put on these stories. I mean, like, and, and the, the amazing, like the amazing artwork. And, you know, I, I, I'm all like stunned by our work, to be honest. I'm very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's uh, a completely unique and impressive experience not to be missed. It is truly one of a kind. And if you're listening in, you better go see it. Um, you don't yes. even have to go see it. You can watch it from the comfort of your home. But it tr- truly is a worthwhile experience. Um, as someone who's seen it myself, um, I can attest to that too. Um, for all those tuning in, if you'd like to watch The House, it is going to be on Netflix as of this Friday, January 14th. Don't miss it. Um, it truly is a wonderful film. Paloma, Nikki, thank you so much for sharing your time and talents with us. All the best to you in the future. It's been a delight. Thank you so much. I've invested my whole life in this house. What's happened? (laughs) Don't be afraid. (laughs) Oh, Oh dear. This isn't the plan! I hate this house. Oh, yeah. They are going absolutely nowhere. It's time to move on.